Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Grace. And this week, our guest is Ryan Facer. Ryan is a graduate of the UNC-NC State Joint Biomedical Engineering Program in 2018, and he is now a Product Development Engineer 2 at Acumed. So please enjoy Ryan Facer. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. I hope you guys are. Yeah, awesome. So it's been a couple of years since we've seen you, um, but since you're since graduating, you have gone on to become a product development engineer at Acumed. Can you give us a brief overview of what, what um, your current role does and what it means to be a product development engineer? Yeah, absolutely. So Acumed is a contract manufacturer for uh, various medical device companies, and we primarily focus on uh, textile-based medical devices, so things like um, mattress covers for hospitals, patient transfer slings, and something that I'm pretty heavily involved in, uh, CPAP headgear, like CPAP masks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what does, so Acumed has a bunch of different sectors, right? but you're in the textiles section? Yeah, essentially. So really the overview of what my position, what essentially our company does is our customers will come to us and they might have a drawing already ready for us or a product that they've designed and vetted out. Maybe it's being produced by another manufacturer and they want um, to dual source a product uh, and my job is essentially to vet that product out and figure out how we're going to make it. So sometimes it comes from the real late down the line design perspective where they know what they want and we just figure out how to give it to them. And there's a lot of times where they like our design input and how we can change the product in relatively minor ways to increase the manufacturability. So you're always doing this work for medical device companies. Yes. Okay. And you're in like a textiles divisions, a division, but there are other divisions of Acumed that do other types of devices. It's primarily textile based. Um, uh. I guess it's primarily textile based medical devices, but there are some other types that I guess you wouldn't really think of as being more textile based, which might include things like DVT sleeves um, or other DVT, things like DVT. What's that? Deep vein thrombosis. Okay. Uh, just like cuffs that go around your leg and promote blood flow. Right. Um, the reason, the other reason I say it's primarily textile based is one of our, um, one of the main things that we do is we, we take fabrics um, like a soft, lycra type fabric or nylon type fabric. Uh, and we take uh, thin sheets of foam and laminate them to uh, what we call UBL or unbroken loop. Uh, so you have this kind of tri-laminate that you can cut parts out of, uh, I think from primarily the CPAP headgear perspective, because that's mainly what I work on. And we either we cut those parts out and we either uh, 
weld them together using radio frequency welding or ultrasonic welding or uh, sewing, all sorts of things like that. So most of our manufacturing is actually done in our facility in the Dominican Republic. So most of the design work and everything is done here on the US side. Um, and then we transfer files and have meetings with our colleagues in the Dominican Republic to, um, to pass off the manufacturing side of things. Um, a lot of times me or some of my other colleagues will travel down there to facilitate validations or um, mm. any other sorts of trials that our customer needs us to do. How big is Acumed? How many like sites, employees, would you say roughly? Well, there's a few sites. I mean, I'm currently working remotely, but we do have a site that's kind of shared between us and our sister company um, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And then our main facility, I would say, is in, um, in the Dominican Republic. So in terms of employees, I don't have an exact number, but it's probably a couple thousand, including operators and, um, and the personnel down there. Awesome. How often do you get to travel down to the DR? That sounds well, like quite a big perk. Well, obviously with COVID, it's a bit different, but previous to that, but that sounds like a quite a big perk for this role. It was relatively often. I mean, um, I mean, we constantly have new products flowing in and even though some of these things can take, you know, two, maybe three years to fully develop and get ready for validations. Um, I mean, I've probably been down there maybe four or so times. Um, obviously, during COVID and everything, there was a travel ban. Uh, and so we just kind of nixed that. Uh, but things are getting a little bit better. And I'm probably going to be back down there uh, sometime towards the end of the year. That's nice. exciting. So um, in, in the role, you said you're working remotely. So when you're in the U.S. Um, doing not the validation work, but the, you know, the development work, is it more design-based? Is it more, you know, Six Sigma-based? What is, what's kind of the, that functionality look like? Could I add on to that question? And I don't know if this, I don't know if this is helpful, but maybe in explaining that, could you walk us through like maybe like a recent project you worked on and how you were involved in it? Uh, maybe that would help like paint the picture of the types yes. of skills you're using. Sure, sure. So I'll use relatively broad terms um, so I don't spill the beans on anything. But uh, <laughs> so we, just a brief background, we did have a facility in Moxville, North Carolina. And that facility since closed and we actually moved all of our product development equipment and other man small manufacturing such as the lamination uh, up to our sister company in Pine Grove, Pennsylvania. Um, that's just another company, uh, Guilford Performance Textiles, who's also a subsidiary of Lear Corporation. And we work very closely with them to develop fabrics and other things for uh, the products to put, put into the products. And so I guess from start to finish, I would probably get a, I would get a request for a quote from one of our customers. They send us some drawings, um, either PDFs or DXF files, things like that. And I would quote out the 
the product and figure out what the rough cost is. Um, and then after that, they typically like to see some sort of prototype. Um, either a lot of times our customers will have the ability to make rough prototypes on their own and able to share concept inputs and things like that with us. Uh, but they want to see more of a finished product. So from that point, I would design all of the tooling that would be required um, for the cutting of the parts and the welding um, or any sort of logos or labels that need to be applied, um, so, sewing programs. Sorry, when you say design the tooling, what do you mean by that? So we use a few different processes, like I mentioned, either um, like radio frequency welding, ultrasonic welding, and there's certain tools that you have to design for a specific part. Uh, if you want to you know, weld a joint or sew a, um, a zigzag stitch you know, across two parts and the, we have some equipment like welders and sewing machines that are in the uh, in our new facility in Pine Grove, Pennsylvania. And so those I would design the tools to fit that specific parts geometry um, and the tolerances that are required and have them made by we have suppliers all over the US. But um, and then I essentially would go uh, at this point up to Pine Grove, uh, which I'll probably be doing in just a few weeks uh, and put those parts together. So I'll have the materials waiting for me um, or we'll have coordinated ahead of time to have those brought up there. I'll cut the parts, I'll sew the parts, weld the parts, all of that, um, apply the labels, uh, figure out the main part that kind of, that would take a while is uh, finding those specific settings for the machines. It's not really just press a button and it happens. There's different materials with different fiber contents and all of that that require some fine-tune adjustments um, that I would hope that I was, I always hope that I'd be able to find some sort of formula to spit those numbers out for me, <laughs> but it's almost proved to be more of an art form than, uh, than science or I guess math, I should say. So it sounds like you're kind of there from, from beginning to end, you know, from beginning of the new process, you meet with the clients, you develop all of this, you do the R&D, um, R&D work mostly for like the manufacturing side of it. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the DRA, hand it off and you, you show them how to do it correctly. And these settings that you've already fine tuned and everything. So it sounds like these are long lead projects. Um, would you say that your role is more like that kind of project base rather than a day-to-day -day, typical day-to-day -day schedule? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's, it's a, like I said, we have a constant flow of new products that are coming in from all of our various customers. And um, so I'm typically either working on some prototype tooling or, um, or production tooling for an upcoming validation. Um, I do support our team down in the Dominican Republic with any sort of issues that they might be having. Uh, but primarily day to day, I'm more focused on my interactions with the customer and 
making sure that we have the proper materials and um, and other things that we're going to need to either build our prototypes or have down in our facility in the DR for validations and whatnot. Um, so it's it's very customer facing. Uh, I mean, I'm on calls every day with our customers and speak directly with them, um, listen to their concerns, bring up my own, uh, primarily after some sort of sample build or whatnot. There's it certainly reveals aspects of the products that uh, could be improved or um, things that we might want to revisit. Uh, there's also some testing that's involved, a little difficult to do working remotely, but coordinating those sorts of things, making sure that the materials that we're using have the stretch and strength that our customers are looking for. Most of the times they have a pretty good idea, um, but conveying all sorts of different information to them and, and working on uh, tooling and their products. Let me rephrase what you said back to you in like my stupid person terms. And you tell me if I'm understanding correctly what you do. So <laughs> of you, course. you work with customers um, to help them with their design and material choices sometimes. Um, and then where you definitely take over is in designing out the manufacturing process, which is what you described as going to Pennsylvania, making sure all the materials are there and the like designing the tooling to kind of figure out how this is gonna get built. And then you communicate those instructions to your facility in the DR, which kind of scales that up and, and would do the mass manufacture. And within that, there's a lot of checkpoints with customers. Am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much okay. it. I mean, I've always, what this uh, job really made me realize is there are kind of two, at least two, I primarily think of it as two sorts of sides to product development. And the more front-end work is, I guess you would say, what our customers do in terms of prototyping their product and collecting the design inputs from the stakeholders and the patients and what's really going to work and what they're actually trying to get out on the market. And then there's my side of things where I'm really figuring out how to make this product a reality and make it feasible for manufacturing. Because I've, I've seen all sorts of different designs and, and some of them are very manufacturing friendly, some of them are not. So right. when I see those ones that aren't, um, need to figure out a way to, uh, to make it feasible. Uh, it might have uh, somewhat of a major impact on the design, but uh, nothing that's too rigorous that it would totally revamp what our customer is looking for. And is the specific expertise you bring manufacturing with tactile, textiles then? Is that kind of like maybe Acumed's value prop? Is it kind of like the textile manufacturing specifically where you kind of have that in-house Yeah, it's... It certainly has been. Um, I mean, it, we haven't had that relationship for too terribly long. I mean, I believe um, I believe we were acquired by Lear sometime 2016, 2017. And I'm sure that we were still getting our, the, 
majority, if not a good sum of our fabrics um, from our uh, sister company, Guilford. But now we, now that we have our PD lab up there at their facility, um, it, we have been working a lot more closely together and we, they are very helpful with developing fabrics from the ground up. Uh, not just applying something that's existing that uh, would work in a certain application, but if there's a need for a specific material that uh, has specific properties, they can help us uh, develop that from start to finish. Are you managing any direct reports or are you running a team when you work with a customer? Are you kind of like the lead on a project team or is it just you? How does that usually work? Uh, I would say I don't have any direct reports to me alone. Uh, it's really just more, I would be the lead engineer on a project, okay. um, uh, a number of which I have going on now. And I primarily will take in inputs and uh, from either my engineering manager or uh, my support team in the Dominican Republic uh, from a quality standpoint, uh, maintenance and manufacturing, um, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, so it is a lot of communication with our team down there, but it's, I guess, more of my responsibility to collect what the customer's vision is and how we're going to build a product from, from a general's point of view. Like I know what sort of manufacturing practices that we have and we're capable of. Um, and that doesn't need a whole lot of communication when transferring it to uh, my colleagues in the DR. But if we need to bring in a new technology or um, a new type of machine or anything like that, then that's where it can get a little more complicated and more communication between uh, those who have experience down in the DR and myself and whoever our supplier may be um, mm -hmm. is more or less the way things go. So um, that's also another point, the um, any sort of new technologies, that's also kind of my a part of my job. Um, if we're buying any new equipment or anything like that, that's related to my projects, I would go to the supplier and make sure that these machines that were either stock or custom built uh, work and are ready to go before they ship them down to our manufacturing facility. Mm -hmm. So I noticed on your LinkedIn that you interned, um, you interned at Acumed as a product development and manufacturing engineering intern, and then you kind of turned that into your full-time role, right? How, how did you find this role? Was this on a listserv email? Or did you find it on LinkedIn? Um, how did, and, and also how did you make that transition? Uh, it was really trying to think of how I actually found it. It was more or less a connection that, uh, that I had. And I just ended up setting up a meeting with um, someone who worked there and uh, they were pleased with, you know, my experience and what I had learned and more or less 
asked me when I could start. So it was, it wasn't really perusing on job boards or anything like that. It was just uh, an existing connection that I reached out to um, and just ended up working out. And when you said experience, um, you were kind of, you're meaning like stuff that you learned in like design classes, like with CAD and like rapid prototyping or, you know, mill, um, oh gosh, what was that tool? The milling machine? CNC, Nemil. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Is that I the think, experience that you're referring to? Yeah. I would say that that's probably more of what drove it was the fact that we had gone through, I think of, you know, junior and senior design and just learning about how to process an idea and take it from one point to another, um, as well as things like CAD. I use um, SolidWorks every day um, and AutoCAD, all of that stuff. Um, so that was that was very helpful in the transition. I mean, I was more involved during my internship in um, just looking for things that could be improved um, and focused, I chose kind of to focus more on like the rapid prototyping side of things, realized how expensive tooling can be and um, convinced them to buy a 3D printer to make oh, some really? of these, yeah, to make some of these um, uh, just, you know, low impact tools that just need to be used a couple times, nothing for manufacturing, but um, that's so, yeah. awesome and super relevant to the the undergrad BME program. Um, so that's awesome. Way to way to go for that. So I want to get back to what you said a little bit earlier with the whole textiles section mm-hmm. of things. Um, you you seem to innovate a new kind of face mask design during the height of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Can uh, can you tell us a little bit about this process? Yeah, sure. So it all kind of started out when COVID was at its starting to hit its peak. Um, and we had a need as a larger scale, our whole company Lear, um, had a need for face masks. So the demand wasn't there. Um, or no, I shouldn't say the demand wasn't there. The supply wasn't there. The demand had skyrocketed. So, um, our companies, our facilities all over the world, um, we're having trouble getting these masks. And that meant uh, lots of different co- countries were putting in all sorts of mandates and closing factories, putting in curfews and requiring face masks and other precautions. Um, and they asked us as kind of their, their medical device uh, side of the business to develop a, uh, a face mask that could be easily manufactured that we could, um, that provided a significant level of protection to our employees and that we would be able to make at any of our facilities, um, or I shouldn't say any, but most of our facilities. Um, so just one day, our engineering director called me into his office and told us we had, uh, I think it was four hours to come up with um, some sort of mask. And so just jumped online, jumped in CAD and came up with more or less a a crude version of one of those masks that you would see. Um, Maybe you can find the design instructions on Etsy or something. It's like Uh, the great British baking show. 
trust me i was shocked i was like um i i was like oh, okay that, that sounds good and yeah um i mean while he asked me to be the lead on the project we immediately had this is when we were at our moxville facility we had every single one of our engineers just huddled around thinking about how to best design this mask and i probably made two dozen iterations before um before I was happy enough to send it out and have it ready, but it was essentially just a cut and sew uh, mask, source some elastic and um, some other various materials from our uh, some of our existing suppliers, some of them new, um, and ended up sending out uh, those files to, shoot, I don't even know how many, uh, of our facilities it was, but we, I think we ended up making something like 10, 15 million, something like that. Um, oh my God. Of those really? all over the world. They, we used them primarily, we weren't focused on, on selling these things. We yeah. were just using them for internal use. Uh, lots of uh, the facilities were donating them to their local communities. Um, just because no one could get their hands on them. And we did do a uh, little bit later down the line. I mean, it's almost started immediately. One of the first things that we had to do after we had the design kind of finished from a geometrical standpoint was uh, find somebody who could do some tests on these things to see what their performance was. Yeah. Um, and so we sent out dozens and dozens of parts to test the particle filtration, the um, fluid barrier, uh, breathability, all sorts of things like that. And uh, we would we did end up implementing some other materials to make them more protective. Um, and but more or less, uh, it just kind of popped up and kind of ran with it. So I uh, was involved, you know, afterwards with the um, after the design and everything was done and sent out, uh, there were, you know, obviously process improvements. And I had other factories reaching out to me, asking me, can you assess this design that we put together and figure in trying to, so I would do that. And I don't even know how many mass I ended up reviewing, but, um, you know, had, it was great to get eyes on uh, something that you kind of just threw together and people are like, oh, you could, we could improve it by doing this and that, and we would implement those sorts of things and ultimately make a better product. Um, one thing was that was somewhat challenging was navigating all of these different countries and their uh, the regulations that they were starting to put in place for these things. Um, everyone was releasing their own um, standards for filtration and breathability, all sorts of fit. Um, and it seemed like every single country had a different one. Since then, I believe, uh, I think it was ISO that came out with, or maybe it was ANSI. Anyways, they came out with kind of a general standard for face coverings, not surgical masks or anything like that, but just general face coverings and what, uh, so I, I was glad to see that. I kept asking myself that question. When are we going to see, you know, a global standard for this sort of things? And ultimately, you know, 
if anything was going to come out of this, it was going to be that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's That's great. Awesome. You got to be so involved in like contributing to, you know, the solution of the pandemic, at least in some small part. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was more than happy to do it. And I was really glad to see um, that these were these masks were getting donated to their local communities. Um, I mean, we're, I, I don't even know how many facilities that we have all over the world, but it truly was. I was talking to somebody every day that was in a different country, whether um, it be Mexico or somewhere in Europe, Morocco, um, all sorts of different places, got to interact with uh, people that I really, I probably wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. Uh, they're just not in our sector of that business, but uh, it was good. It was good to get a broader sense for the company and uh, everyone was extremely supportive and jumped right on to help out in any way they could. Mm -hmm. uh, ma managing materials coming in and all sorts of other things, quality standards and the regulations um, that maybe I wouldn't even been able to read because they, I would have been using Google Translate and they would be able to translate it for me uh, to get a better understanding because you know those things can be pretty nuanced and, uh, and illegal sounding. Yeah, well, that sounds like great exposure. Um, and you've, you've kind of detailed out for us two different projects you've worked on, which is, I think, given a good sense of like what your day-to-day -day activities might be like. Um, so kind of just going off of that, what kind of BME student would be interested in a role like yours at a company like yours? What would be their skills and interests? Um, like sure. think back to undergrad, you know, what kind of things would they be doing that would make them like what you sure, do? Sure, sure, yeah. So it, it would, I would say you have to be hands-on. And by that, I mean, you're going to be the one that's uh, prototyping samples uh, and trying to source new products, putting your hands on material. Um, just if you have a strong interest or you really like CAD, whether it be 3D or 2D, I'm involved with that every day. I really enjoy it. Um, and so I don't mind that I spend a lot of my time doing that and coming up with new ways and there's uh, of making these products and the process flows. Uh, it, I guess I would say it's not so much uh, maybe your code-based type of work. Uh, I mean, I'm not building electrical circuits and whatnot um, as much as I enjoyed that. But yeah, very hands-on um, and also extremely customer-facing. So right. being comfortable speaking to uh, our customers in whether it be just to convey a point or let them know that we need to do try and do something a different way. Um, a, you'd need to be comfortable uh, talking in a group. And honestly, I really attribute a lot of that to uh, junior and senior design. Um, I really was never all that comfortable talking to people in crowds or uh, giving presentations and things like that. And yeah, sure, it helps a little bit that we're doing it uh, mostly over uh, over the internet. But <laughs> regardless, uh, I think it helped me uh, exponentially uh, with how I'm able to communicate with my customers and even my colleagues. 
And even two podcast hosts. So of course, out on the back. Okay. So um, ability to be customer facing means, you know, meeting your customer's interests, but balancing that with the capabilities and resources of your company. Um, a, a bit of CAD, obviously an interest in manufacturing and manufacturing techniques and processes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And maybe like a bit of supply chain mixed in there too, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, I'm kind of a Swiss army knife with what I do. I mean, some <laughs> people, some companies have, um, if you need a part designed, you send it over to uh, one section that's going to get it made for you and figure out who who can make it and what materials to use. But um, you kind of have to be curious in this role. Um, what What's going to work? What's not going to work? Kind of get a feeling for things. Um, and you have to be willing to take those sorts of risks and uh try and balance those things out uh, to make sure that you're not wasting your time, essentially. So yeah, it's a little bit of CAD manufacturing, I should say a lot of CAD um, manufacturing. And um, one thing I guess that people don't think about a ton is as part of the manufacturing process is um, thinking about who's, who's, going to be performing these sorts of operations and making sure you apply small pokey oaks and other sorts of, uh, whether it be in the tooling or the process itself to make sure that uh, there's just a small amount of room for error uh, and that you're gonna get a consistent quality product. Totally. Awesome. Wow, this was really cool. I loved hearing about what you did for the pandemic and then also just your role in general. I think um, there's a lot of technical skills mm-hmm. that um, I think a lot of people want to implement into their role when they graduate. And this is a really good way to be able to do that. So thank you so much for joining with us and chatting and giving us your time to go through your role outside of work. Yeah, of course. Grace, Ali, I really appreciate it. Honored that she asked me to uh, <laughs> be a part of one of these episodes. Um, it, it was really great. Thank you. We had to. We had to get the face of the facer. Google the facer. Google the facer. That's the name of his disclaimer. face mask. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Thank of you. Of course. The BME Grad Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For more information on the BME Grad Podcast, visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, you can find that information under the News and Events tab. If you can, please subscribe or follow and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.